0: Hey, everybody. and Welcome to another episode of Courtside to Beelance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network here again with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Uh, what did we do? We did an Indian Wells preview. We did an Indian Wells uh, mid-tournament uh, deal because there was so much action going on. And now we're doing our Indian Wells uh, recap. Steve, both on the men's and women's side. Unbelievable tournament.
1: It was. It was. I mean. We'll get to the men a little later. I know. At the final. I, I was hoping for a closer contest, but it was still a, a great performance from Alcaraz and, and a great finish for the tournament overall. And the, you're right; we had to do one midway because there were so many dramatic developments. But now it's nice to be able to look back on it all. And and it was definitely one of the probably combined. I, I can't think of a better Indian Wells combined for the men and women.
0: Unbelievable. And I think, if my memory serves me correctly the semifinal matchups on both the men's and the women's unbelievable matchups. I think they were all in straight sets. I think that is the case. So um, with that, let's, let's start because these were just heavyweight matchups like crazy. And we'll go on the, the women's side. I mean, you had in the semis, you had Ega, she was playing in another stratosphere up to that point against Rabacan And you all, you all know the year that Rabacan has had finaled Australia. She won Wimbledon the, the previous summer um, I was thinking Iga on straight sets. I mean, Rabakina played unbelievable. Later in the press conference, we found out Iga had a rib injury that was bothering her. Um, I don't know if that would have played a difference. We'll never know. Um, but Rabakana beat her pretty convincingly. And you don't do that to Ega in straight sets.
1: No, you don't. Uh, but let's also not forget that Rabakina beat Iga in o- at the Australian Open as well. So that was a much faster court. Uh, but it just shows, you know, right. She's just showing left and right that she's afraid of no one and that her game matches up well against everyone. And, you know, she's got that wonderful serve, particularly one of the great first serves in women's tennis. And and she's able to be such a quick ball striker. She's able to get on top of points so easily. And that, I don't know. It wasn't that apparent that, you know, until Iga said afterwards that she was hurting that there was anything wrong with her on the other hand before you know it she's down a set and five love and she managed to squeeze a few games uh it, it's very hard to beat her that thoroughly i'm excited about Rabakana, david because you know to do what she did in australia come that close win the first set against Sabalanka, go down in three sets now to win here having won wimbledon last year you look at those three tournaments huge what i'm and, and it just, just shows that she belongs in the absolute hierarchy of the women's game. And she, she would be ranked a lot higher right now if, if she would gotten her Wimbledon points last year. But we know that she's a clear top three, top four player who can contend for number one. I want to see what she can do on the clay. Uh, that, that'll be interesting. But she's certainly demonstrably, demonstrably proven that, uh, you know, on hard courts and grass, that
0: she's right up there at or near the top. 100% agree. And, yeah, she's had some incredible results. Um, I agree with you. Let's see how she does on the clay. The other semi was um, Rhea Sakari versus Sabalenka. Sakari in the quarter, remember, she played Kvitova. Kvitova beat, that, beat Pagula in that crazy match. There was something in that quarter that I want to talk. It's just a good lesson for, for adults, kids, whoever play this game. Sakari winds up beating Kvitova, um in three sets. And Sakari was down a set, and I think maybe a break. She yeah, she was. Up. Yeah, yeah she ones. was. And, yeah, I, and the three, lesson three,
1: is – go ahead. Yeah, it was 3-1 in the second set. So yep, 3-1 one one in, in the day, second. He pulled it out and won that set
0: 7-5. And the lesson I wanted to, to, to state was – if you hang around just long enough where you can potentially get an opportunity you can't go away because if you go away in a match you're never going to get that opportunity but if you can hang on there long enough you sometimes can get an opportunity and when you do if you can pounce on it that match turns quickly which it did and maria, uh, maria won that third set pretty easily i believe sick was it yeah, six
1: what she wanted six, six one, one. Yeah, David, that's a good point. I, I just would also add, particularly if you're playing Kvitova, who tends to be a very streaky player. She's a brilliant shot maker. And that's how she got out of the Pagula match, hitting winners on the, all the right. match points. But in this match, once it turned and once uh, Sakari pulled out that second set so hard, fought 7-5, she ran away with the third because Petra's spirits were diminished and suddenly she didn't have the confidence to pull off those spectacular winners anymore. So particularly if you're playing her, hang in there. that's not to say that she's going to collapse every time she's a two-time Wimbledon champion. She's a great player, but she can be an uneven performer.
0: Right. No, I echo those thoughts. And then the semi, that semi was Maria Sakri versus Sabalenka. And one thing I noticed and Sabalenka won that match pretty routinely, I would say, um, the one thing I would say is, you you look at Maria and you look at her physique and how strong she is and how physical she plays. Not a lot of players can physically beat Maria Sakkari. I felt that semi Sabalenka physically beat Maria Sakkari, and I don't think a lot of players on the WTA tour can out physical Maria Sakkari. If that makes any sense.
1: <laughs> no, I got, I I hear you and I agree, and I think that uh, you know she. She absolutely hit her off the court. And it, Now it's true that Sakari had not only had the three set of Kavita, but, but a bunch of other hard fought three setters as well. Might have caught up with her, but Sabalenka's ball striking on that occasion was just impeccable. It was,
0: and then you had the final. And again, you could make an argument. Obviously, Iga's in there, but Rabakina versus Sabalenka. You throw Iga in there. Are those that I'm just thinking off the top of my head? Those have got to be the top three hottest players right now on the tour. Um, and Rabakana wins. And what was straight sets, right? Like it's th- this rivalry between Rubakana, Sabalenka. And now you throw Iga in. Like you said, Rabakana's beaten Iga now a couple times. It's going to be awesome to see that trifecta kind of compete for the biggest events going forward.
1: Absolutely. And Rubakana had never beaten Sabalenka. So that was a breakthrough triumph. She That's why I say she's afraid of no one right now. But it was a really. It was a fascinating first set because uh, Sabalenka had the break. She was up four, two and Rebecca got even then they all, they each had tons of chances in the tie break, which went to 13, 11. And unfortunately for Sabalenka, 10 double faults in that first set. Yeah. Uh, crept that, back up of,
0: again, Steve. It crept back up again.
1: And she admitted it. She, she yeah. was honest with her. What I liked was there was an honest, totally honest with herself afterwards about how they had crept back in and she, and it obviously did get in her head, but one of them was on a set point. So sad to see her try to kick that second serve in on set point and, and send it into the net. You know, she was, she was very, very tight on the, it, I, I, I had the feeling when it's, when it's that close all the way through a first set like that that's lasting well over an hour, you got to believe whoever wins that set is almost surely going to win the match. And that's what happened. And Sabalek admitted David that first two games of the second set, when she went down two love, she wasn't, present you could see she was ready to burst into tears she's such an emotional woman on the other hand very generous of spirit and terrific in the in the presentation ceremony afterwards so funny and, yeah so you gotta you have it's impossible not to find her extremely likable
0: Um oh, i mean and you hear her so loud and boisterous on the court competing but then you see the softer side of her the funnier side of her off the court all the players love her and she's got a great personality great sense of humor it's good to see both sides of that okay on to the men which the men also had an unbelievable uh, feel unbelievable matchups i remember the the quarterfinals um the two quarters that that really stuck in my head was the the alcaraz and felix match i thought the athleticism both and uh, the between carlos and felix unbelievable and the fritz sinner match i felt I felt bad for the tennis balls because Fritz and Sinner were just pulverizing the ball, absolutely crushing the ball. Uh, wh- wh- what are your, what are your takes on both those matches?
1: Yeah. Well, let's start with Carlos and FAA. I had the feeling that Carlos, I mean, he, he knew he, he had lost his three previous meetings with Felix, including <laughs> a U.S. open match where he's down a set in a break and had to retire with a leg injury. And a Davis Cup clash last year, that was the 2021 U.S. Open I'm referring to. Then last year, right after Carlos, not not long after Carlos has won the U.S. Open, he had to play Felix in the Davis Cup. It was tough timing and he lost again. And finally, he lost to him on a fast court indoors toward the end of the year. So all those I think he's thinking to himself, I, uh, he was awfully good on those occasions, but I wasn't at my best. And I've got to turn this around and I've got to do it now. And did he ever. I mean, he was a very, it was four and four. You're right. The athleticism, and Felix had some shining moments, but he couldn't stay with him consistently from the backcourt. And he was so under pressure, David, in almost every service game in the first set, not so much in the second when the wind died down, but he was having so much trouble holding. And then it came down to one crucial game there at four all in the second when Felix is down 1540, gets to the ad, and Carlos just keeps those returns coming and gets the break and, and, and run and closes out the match. So it was a very enjoyable match. And one that I think Alcaraz wanted to win very badly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the Fritz center match, that was six, four in the third. Um, defend Taylor Fritz defending champion. You know how much he loves this tournament. He's from California. He'd love to, uh, repeat as champ again, just both those guys. I mean, just pulverizing the ball.
1: They were, and, and, and the, the rallies were breathtaking. Having said that, again, just like I felt that Felix was the one in control from the baseline against FAA, I felt the same thing with Sinner, that if Taylor didn't win that point, and they showed the stats, so rallies going over nine strokes, and it was an enormous advantage for uh, Sinner. And okay. so it, it, it's like Taylor had to strike very quickly. He had to get it done in the first six, six you know, those first three hits those first six to eight strokes. And, and when he did, he was very effective. But the longer it went, he felt like the better ball control was, was definitely uh, belonged to Sinner.
0: It's always strange for me to see guys like Darren Kay, who is such a respectful commentator, and we know he's such a great coach too. It's always odd for me, Seeing a commentator like that in the in a box to coach someone because you know you're used to hearing them be objective for so many players, and now they're coaching a certain player, and you know who their interest is for. It it's not a bad thing at all. I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. It just it's just weird because you're used to you're used to hearing one side of it being more objective, and then you see the coach in the box, and you know there's no objectivity going on, and that no no that, that coach is mine right then and there. <laughs>
1: No, true. But on a, uh, in addition to that, I think that the Sinner is just very fortunate to have him as one of his voices now. Oh, because yeah. Cahill is one of the keenest observers in the sport. We've heard it in his commentary, but he's a very level-headed guy as well. Level-headed, but tough when he needs to be, as he was with Simona Halle yep. during their, their experience. He had some great moments with Simona, but also had some altercations with her where he really spoke his mind. So I feel like uh sinner is going to benefit immensely from having darren in his corner oh yeah
0: all right so let's go to the semis we'll go to the bottom half medvedev uh you've heard his comments about the the, the court at in indian wells he plays tfo uh tfo saves seven match points he couldn't save eight but he saved seven uh, straight set, 7-6, 7-6, 7-6, 7-5, 7-6, 7-5, 7-6.
1: Yeah, you know, that was a fascinating match because up until the set in 5-3, you you felt like it was this masterful performance from uh, from Medvedev. And he has three match points on Francis's serve in that ninth game with the 5-3 lead. And Francis did a great job and kept attacking behind his serve, and he was very bold. Okay, no big deal. Medvedev will serve it out. Well, he doesn't. He hadn't been broken until then. He's broken at 5-4. Breaks right back to go 6-5. A, a breaks at Love. And then goes to 40 Love on his serve. And he had four more match points in that game. And Francis took it away from him again with really audacious play. And you can see Daniel getting tight. And he admitted he did. But then they go to the tiebreak. And to the, to the everlasting credit of Medvedev, He settled right down and he built a 5-1 lead. And even when Francis came back at him again and made it 5-4, Medvedev closed it out with a service winner and an ace. So it was a really enjoyable conclusion to the match. And Medvedev displayed a lot of mental toughness there at the end to withstand that fierce comeback from Francis.
0: And when they shook hands, he said to Francis, he goes, I was scared there. I was scared there because when you have seven match points and you're not putting it away, it can get dicey if you don't close that match out all right let's yeah, go to no, the- he's
1: an interesting guy david evidence he's so for all of the, the those qualities on the court you never know what he might say or do on the court oh I, I he's just incredibly candid afterwards and he speaks more freely than just about any of the other players in assessing these matches and how he he's played.
0: likable and he's
1: likable and he said it he said the same thing in the press conference that he was saying to francis and i didn't I was saying to myself, it's not looking very good for you. You've, you know, he, that's, that's honest, because a lot of players will not concede that they have nerves. They won't concede that they actually choke. And Daniel was acknowledging that in a very, uh, a, a very impressive way. Uh, but I thought coming off that win, even though it was hard closing it out, I thought he was going to be confident in the final that he put aside all of his insecurities about these slow, hard courts, he, he moved way past the injury, the ankle turning against Zarev and falling on his thumb against Fokina, uh, Davidovich Fokina and, and, and cutting his thumb. And that now he, physically he was fine and mentally he was fine. And I thought we were in for a dandy of a final. Uh, but he, it, he was never able to give his best. And Alcarez was just magnificent.
0: Well, let's get to the the, the top half that, that semi-first because, again, it was Carlos versus Sinner um hoping maybe a little bit more resistance from center but i mean carlos just too good
1: well he was but the first set plenty of resistance from center there he comes from four two down then wins three games in a row at the cost of one point and and then he um gets it into the tie break and in the tie break he did a you know he's got i mean excuse me at six he gets it to six five excuse me he's up six five and and, and he's got uh, Carlos serving at set point down. But Carlos, it's a drop shot. Sinner seemed to get there in plenty of time, David, but his pass down the line was way too high, and Carlos just moved easily to his right and punched the forehand volley into the open court. That was a huge point, because if Sinner, t- if he takes that set 7-5 as he was in a position to do, uh, it could have been a very different match. That first set was critical. And then Fran- uh, 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 Carlos was absolutely uh, brilliant in the second set i mean he could do no wrong including one topspin spin lob that was just out of this world that landed right on the baseline and he he just it was unstoppable in the second set sinner did not give up he looked like he could lose his service second time at two five down he held on his spirit was there but it, but alcaraz was just too good in that second set in windy conditions.
0: And then you have the final Alcaraz and Medvedev, like you said, you were thinking Medvedev was going to be really confident. He was in the final year. He's ready to rock and roll. Steve. Watching that match. All I could say clinical by Carlos. Absolutely clinical. I mean, I'm smiling. I have a wide smile. For those who don't see the video, I've been smiling this whole time when we've been talking about Carlos, it's basically out of amazement. Um, I mean three drop shots in a row at 5-1 in the second set, three drop shot winners in a row to get to 5-1 in the second set. Um that powerful I mean it's not even the words don't do it justice but that deep powerful penetrating forehand that makes guys retreat so far back, you combine that with the drop shot on the next shot, it's just lethal.
1: Yeah, it's always, it, it, it it's it's what really came to the forefront last year when when Op-Grest made such a significant rise. To to number one in the world was just that combination you're describing—the the immensity that, of that power—and then the ability to have a guy in his heels and just drop shot easily for a winner. <laughs> and and he he kind of embarrassed me with those three in a row that you mentioned. It was an interesting match in two ways. One, Carlos knew exactly what he wanted to do tactically. He served and volleyed selectively. He took control of the rallies, and he managed to keep the points relatively short. And he played the match on his terms, and he looked like a—he—he he always looks like he's a 25, 26-year-old. You can't believe this kid is still 19, about to turn 20, because of the maturity of his match-playing ways. Conversely, Medvedev was really in a befuddled state. David, from—he opened the match poorly, and and Alcarus won 12 of the first 15 points to take that three-love first-set lead with a one-break and made a count, and. Medvedev never looked comfortable but I thought by the end of the set at least he was holding serve again so then the first game of the second set Medvedev three pretty bad errors two in particular one off each flank and then a double fall that loved 40 feebly into the net that was a bad sign that he wasn't starting the second set a little with a sort of renewed spirit like okay uh, I'm going to stamp my authority now I'm going to get my teeth into this contest and that that game was that was a Really important game, I thought, because then I think Carlos thought he had him. And maybe they've just, I, he said later, he wasn't sure whether it was Carlos's ball. He didn't know if it was the wind. He couldn't quite explain. And I don't think he was hiding anything here. I think he needed, he's probably going to need to look at the tape. He didn't really fully understand why, what happened out there and why he was beaten so decisively. Uh, you had Because going in, he had to believe it was at least going to be close. What I didn't understand from Daniel's side of the net David, was why he didn't seem to deliberately prolong the rallies at times. It was rare that we got more than, say, a 16, 18 stroke rally. Even that didn't happen very often. Carlos was able to win these points in eight shots and six shots. And- yeah,
0: that's what I was we- going to say. Maybe Carlos had a lot to do, not, not allowing Daniel to do that. Well, to an extent. Power.
1: I agree, but I think more so just when Carlos was serving and taking control and winning over 80% of his first serve points, uh, too good. But when Daniel was serving, even then he didn't. He seemed to want to. He had it in his head that he was going to be very aggressive and try and hit through him as much as he could, and that was not going to work. Certainly not yesterday. And and we're so used to Daniel digging in and saying, "Okay, right, Joe, prove to me that you can outlast me in a fifty-stroke rally." He even right, do that, He
0: doesn't miss. Right. He gets and he and even
1: less. Have some incredible rallies for that reason when he plays Novak. But he didn't seem to want to employ that tactic yesterday. And I, I'll be interested to see the next time they meet whether Medvedev's tactics are very different from what they were yesterday. No guarantee that he beats him. It's It would be a big turnaround. But I think he'll play it very differently.
0: Different strategy. Yeah, No, yeah. well said. So it, it's funny to me. When Carlos burst in on the scene, everyone's like, oh, this guy's going to be a nightmare on clay. They didn't really talk about the hard court right off the bat. And look, he has eight titles. Five of them are on clay. but. The three titles that he has on hard court are the U.S. Open, Miami, and Indian Wells. Outside of the Australian Open, those are the three biggest hard court events there are. I mean, you could you, could yeah, make you that yeah you
1: what right yeah absolutely. And I I you, I think you could make an argument that he is <laughs> maybe if we're grading a paper and we're giving him a ninety five for his clay court tennis. I'm not sure. I'm not giving him ninety seven for his hard court game. I'm not hundred percent agree,
0: even- right? Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it is, it, it is unbelievable. And again, yeah, he does have more clay titles than hard, but I mean, the fact that he is this effective on a hardcore when, when, when he first bursted out on the scene and we said, Whoa, this guy's going to be lethal on clay. It, it's amazing. And, and with the win, he regains the number, the, the world, number one ranking. He also didn't lose a set um, in this tournament. The last one to do that was Roger Um, 2017, he, he's won this. He's, he has now won the sunshine double. Uh, he won Miami last year. Let's see if he can win Miami. Let's see if he can do it in one year.
1: Um, David, David, a quick point. He needs to do that to hold on to that number one ranking, by the way, not that I think he's going to get obsessed with that, nor is Novak because they could very well go back and forth quite a bit. They each have really virtually the same number of points to defend uh, during the clay court season. They each lost in the quarters of the French last year. They each won a Masters 1,000 on the clay last year. So it's very similar what they have to protect. So I don't think either one will get obsessed. But all I'm saying is, you know, Carlos has to defend or Novak could go back to one. They're going to have a fascinating uh, battle for supremacy there as the year moves along. And then I, I think that Daniel will emerge... Medvedev, I think, is going to be the guy, the, the third wheel here. He's going, to, he's going to be in that top three with them. And it's not going to take too long, by the way. I think you're going to see him move past Rude, move past Tsitsipas. And, and they will be the big three of the sport for the rest of the year, in my view.
0: You know, we, we both agree that we think Novak should be okay for the U.S. summer hardcourt swing. So for the rest of the year after Miami... Um, they're going to be competing in the same tournaments, hopefully. Hopefully both are injury-free, and hopefully Novak will get cleared on
1: that. David, another thing, let's not forget, Rafa appears to be stepping up his training regimen, and it's looking like he's going to be ready for Monte Carlos. Imagine the prospects for the clay court season, even if Medvedev continues to struggle on the clay, which he might, uh, he'll turn it around from Wimbledon on, I'm sure, and we'll see his best from that book, but Rafa's best may be coming right maybe just around the corner here Uh, if he's healthy that's a big if but if he is imagine some of the tennis we're going to see if if Rafa plays some matches in Monte Carlo and Rome and Madrid against against both Carlos and uh, Novak it'll be just wonderful yeah
0: Yeah, it will be again like you said it's a big if, if if Rafa remains healthy but hopefully he will um speaking of Rafa after 912 consecutive weeks, Rafa leaves the top 10. I did the calculation, Steve. That's 17 and a half years
1: yeah, that he was yeah. in
0: the top 10. <laughs> miraculous. Just miraculous.
1: Yeah, it is astounding. A lot of that, I mean, listen, there are many reasons for His persistence, his professionalism, and so many of those years, he was so dominant on clay that the points that he would – The points that he amassed on clay almost guaranteed that he couldn't move out of the top 10. Nonetheless, it's just an an extraordinary effort, given that he's had the absences for injuries. Right, They they couldn't play for long stretches. So it's a great credit to Rafa's enduring greatness that he was able to realize that feat. And I don't think he's losing any sleep over that right now. I think he'd like to get the ranking back up just to improve his seeding for the French open but other than that i don't think he's concerned
0: all right well hey we don't there, there's no rest for the weary here steve we got miami right around the corner before we uh start even thinking about that what any any parting thoughts on indian wells what a, what a miraculous what was it 10 days well it was just an incredible it, it, it's all like a mess in my brain. There was so many good moments. No, I
1: just think the only thing I would add is it, it, it says even more about these players that we could be so exhilarated by what we witnessed and they were having to deal with some pretty fierce winds and changeable winds. And as you know, as some, someone who teaches this game, it's really difficult to play in those capricious windy conditions and adjust your game and to keep your level high. And they, they all managed it. And then some. And then some is right.
0: All right. Um, the draws just came out for Miami. Steve and I are not going to talk about it uh, because it's still way too early. They haven't. I think the, the first day of the men's qualifying is today. We're recording this Monday. Women's first day was yesterday of qualifying. Um, the, the one match I did want to just throw out there, Steve. Uh, is in the women's draw. The first round, and it's two players that we spoke very highly of in Indian Wells and was happy that they were playing really well. Emma Raducanu faces Bianca Andreescu in the first round. It's a shame that they both have to face off each other because everybody loved the fact that they that we saw the level of both those players in Indian Wells.
1: Yes, it's it's unfortunate so early, but on the other hand, it's good. It's it's a healthy thing for Emma. She's got to test herself against these people, whether it's the first round or the quarters, and sh- prove to herself that that she can stay with the very best players. As we saw that she played played well against Weontek. I want to see a, an extension of that in Miami, and hopefully we will.
0: Well, they got a they got some big shoes to to fill after Indian Wells. It was it was magnificent, and. Uh, If they get anywhere close to it, it'll be a great, great tournament in Miami as well. We're looking forward to it. Stay tuned because Steve and I will be doing uh, some updates uh, down in Miami. Thanks, everyone, for listening.